what really gets my dick hard is Welcome to Melody Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 24, sponsored by Tone Tubby Speakers, the original Hemcone speaker. For more information, go to ToneTubby.com for all your uh, guitar-loving, speaker-loving needs. We are actually sitting here at Metal Up Your Podcast HQ, and our Tone Tubby speakers are sitting right next to me. They're very close. Uh, you can't hear them because they're not plugged in right now, but they're here. They're gorgeous. Beautiful. He, they sent us a, um, a black one and kind of a tweed. How would you describe that color? It's kind what? of a blonde color. A blonde, yeah. yeah. That's, that's definitely correct. not tweed. It's couldn't be more not tweed. <laughs> it couldn't be, uh, yeah, none more tweed. Uh, we're pretty stoked about plugging those in soon and playing them, right? Yeah, I'm doing it tomorrow. Sorry to my wife. It's <laughs> happening all day. <laughs> there, our wives are used to this shit by now. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, my wife is actually in the audience tonight, which is uh, more than a rarity because she doesn't like Metallica, but Kay. she's uh, here to. She's here to. Uh, I don't know, hang out, watch us to make fools of ourselves. Well, I, I hope she enjoys the ride. <laughs> uh, but this is also, a, uh, I think, a bit of a monumental episode. We have our first guest tonight. Our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Hetfield. <laughs> <laughs> Psych. <laughs> no, uh, we have here in the studio Kirk Hammett. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Let's go through the whole band. No, wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's Ron McGovern. <laughs> no, we have our friend Paul Moak in the studio. Yeah, and the reason Paul Moak is here is because this episode is all about Bob Rock, who, of course, is one of Metallica's producers. Paul Moak, say hello. Hey, hey. This is Paul Moak, and Paul Moak is a awesome producer, studio owner, engineer, all-around badass here in Nashville, and uh, we've all recorded at his studio on various projects. I did my solo stuff there uh, about a year and a half ago, and... Uh, yeah, we're doing a Bob Rock episode, so why not have one of our, probably our favorite producer in Nashville? Oh, uh, definitely mine. And uh, he's also a massive Metallica fan, so. Yes. Two worlds colliding. <laughs> he's a massive Metallica fan, so let's. Let me sing an excess song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't think of a Metallica lyric to really tie all that in together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we start talking to Paul about Bob Rock, we're going to do our normal stuff. So we're going to start it off with our pick contest winners. If you've been listening to the show, you're definitely tired of hearing me say this. If you're new to the show, let me tell you what this is. If you go to iTunes and leave us a positive review, Ethan and I will send you five glorious guitar picks, three Metal Up Your Podcast picks, one pick with Ethan's face on oh, it, beautiful, and one fifth pick with my face on it. The, yeah. way you, <laughs> the way that works is, <laughs> if you leave us a positive review, we're going to read your username, then you send us your address, show at gmail.com, yep. with your address, and we send you it. Here are our weekly winners. Josh Stupid who's written into us before and you crack the code. His name is reference to some band. Uh, it might be. Well, he spells stupid S T O P I D. I'm assuming he's a fan of slightly stupid, which yeah. I am not. Okay. Josh stupid, uh, Tamby two five seven and Adam in Jersey, Adam in Jersey. As most of you know, we always reference cities and they're always located in New Jersey. So we're a big fan of Adam in Jersey. 
Well, it's it's especially special when they're in Jersey, which is in Jersey. Yeah, Jersey is in Jersey. Yeah, at least the last time <laughs> yeah. I checked. Uh, so if you just heard your name read, send us an email, metalbrewpodcastshow at gmail.com. We will send you some free shit. We know you love the free shit. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love free shit? Paul, do you like free shit? You like free love shit, Paul? It. He loves it. See, Paul likes it. Uh, <clears throat> go take a minute, leave us the review. It only takes a second. It really helps us out. When we get to 100 reviews, which we're at like 48 or 49 or something now, we're going to thankfully never speak of it again. Yeah. So if you're really tired of hearing me say it, which I definitely am. I'm get... definitely tired of hearing you say it. <laughs> you're you. only halfway there. <laughs> if you want us to get there and stop talking about it, go leave the review. Yeah. That'd be it's real so helpful. easy. Uh, we're going to do our social media crap. Can you, do you want to do that? Yeah. Uh, let's just, let's just be quick with it. You can go on any social media thing and look up metal up your podcast and you're going to find us more specifically. You can go to patreon.com if you want to support the show financially, patreon.com slash metal up your podcast. Uh, but yeah, you guys know how to work social media. Just type in metal up your podcast. You're going to find us. It's the black logo, black and white logo. And it's unless you're, unless you're Torben, does Torben own a computer? I think, uh, Torben might own a computer. It's an Apple two. It's, it's a beautiful green and black screen. I, I, pl- I play uh, Pong and sings on it. It's great. Oh, Torben, Torben and shut his, up so fast. Torben and his Pong. <clears throat> he loves Pong. Uh, speaking of Patreons, which by it's the way... It's computer tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was episode 24 with Paul Moak. I'm out. Good night. Good night. Uh, we did get two new patrons this week, which by the way, our very own guest tonight, Paul Moak, is a patron of the show. He is a That's right, I am. Well, That's thank right. you, Paul. Paul is, is pledging $500 a month for the next four years. <laughs> Got to get this thing off the ground. And man. if you can match Paul with $500 a month, we will send you one official Metal Up Your Podcast battle jacket patch. <laughs> Not a battle jacket, just a patch for the battle no, no, jacket. No, yeah, just yeah. the $3 thing. No, it really, you know, we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, if, if you like to become a patron, it, it really does help us. We just, we just gave Paul his own Metal Up Your Podcast patch for being a guest on the show. And it helps us to do things like that, to get merchandise going. Uh, we're going to do some shirts, some koozies, things like that. So We actually are placing an order this week for our tablecloth, which we're going to put on our table when we do our live show from Detroit, yep. the Detroit World Wired show. We're getting koozies, stickers. We're going to keep buying the picks and the patches. Our new patrons this week are Joe B, which Joe is short for Joanna, but she asked me to specifically mention her nickname, Joe, okay. and Sarah Sobeck. So thanks to you ladies thank you very much how about the ladies coming out for metal up coming podcast? in strong jeez yeah, yeah. Like, i don't hate it no not at all we've talked about this that you know our fan base is probably like metallica's fan base which is pretty dude heavy but uh yeah that's great i mean female fans that's awesome i mean we love all our dudes out there we really do yeah no, no disrespect we, to the dudes. we don't want it to be like a rush concert <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been a lady at a rush concert in literally 40 years uh, I'm not going to argue on that one. <laughs> well, I did the math. I actually consulted science on that. So Okay, it's science. All right, so... Let's get some emails. All right, uh, you want to start it off? Yeah, I'll start it off. Our f- first email comes from Chad Pollock. Just want to say thanks for the podcast. Metallica has been one of my favorite bands. Like many, the one video set the hook and reeled me in. I'm with you, dude. Same as me. Uh, <clears throat> I would really like to extend a great compliment to the sound quality. Top notch. I would be interested in knowing more about the uh, two of you your musical backgrounds, send me a link to some of your music you fuckers have made. <clears throat> wow. Strong flavor. Dude coming in strong. Um, uh, thanks to you both. Oh, and one last question. Please ask Torben which strings I should use in a hot, <clears throat> hot, arid climate on my composite racket. <laughs> my, my current strings feel uh, Dean and offer little, little ball English. Yes, ball English. Well, Torben, <laughs> you're <Yeah>. up. <laughs> 
Gosh, I hope I could do this one. <clears throat> this is the most like in-depth thing about Torben I've ever done. Well, let's see. Ball English is it's. I mean, it's not my first language, but uh, uh, I think if uh, <laughs> what the fuck is ball English? Don't question it. It's it's a real thing. I promise. Um, I would say. Um, I like to use only ball strings on my um, on my racket. Um, I use uh, 15s to 62. Uh, it really helps with the ball English, especially when it's not your uh, your first language. Is that okay? Wow, my, that accent just kind of changed. It started turning. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I think some... it became something new and different. And well, exciting. we talked about developing new characters, so maybe Torben's going to morph into something else. <laughs> Thank you for the question, though. Uh... Sound quality. Uh, we're not doing anything crazy. I mean, I got some pretty cheap condensers in here. Uh, I'm currently talking on a Beta 58. Um, but, you know, it's just a matter of getting a good level and, um, you know, add, add a couple plugins. I usually just add some compression and EQ. And if it sounds good to me, I think it's going to sound good to you. I think to those of you who are considering starting a podcast, just on the front end, there's a lot of really affordable things you can do to make sure that it sounds good. There's a lot of podcasts that I'm sincerely interested in, but. I find them unlistenable because of the sound quality. So yes, totally. whether it's buying a nicer USB mic, which is sort of an easier way to go, or we actually have kind of like home studio pro recording gear. It's worth it to do it because people are going to listen if it sounds good. Yeah, it's nothing like Paul Muck studio, but <clears throat> we get by. We'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> if you guys are interested in the music that Ethan and I make, I think the best way to do it is just to go to our websites. Yeah. EthanLuck.com. ClintWellsMusic.com. Yeah. Or if you, yeah, yeah, I mean, I got stuff on iTunes, Bandcamp, but yeah, just go there. You can find a thing, uh, you know, little little menu tab for a bunch of music. I mean, Ethan and I have played on a ton of records, and we tour all the time. So yeah. there's a lot of good stuff. And we're both songwriters, too. So there's a lot of good stuff to check out. But without boring most of our audience, just go to our various websites. Yes, totally. All right. Uh, Nick Makoviak writes, Hey, guys, just got done listening to Ethan's review of the Philly show. Great review. Pretty much agree with what you said. Here's my review of the MetLife show in good old Portland, New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, this is actually good info. The reason I put this in the email is because for those of you who may be attending a stadium show, he actually wrote this, which I think is really helpful. He says, make sure you check Metallica's FAQ, which is on Metallica.com, about each venue with regards to the NFL clear bag policy. MetLife did not enforce it, so my wife and I brought in plenty of snacks and water. Had we known they would be so lenient, we could have brought in more. Gillette Stadium strictly enforced it, so I'd urge all to check and see what the deal is. That's good advice. <clears throat> well, here's the deal, dudes. I mean, there's been a lot of talk on the forums because... Most Metallica fans now are kind of of a certain age. So there's some pretty legitimate concerns about pee-pee time and hydration. <laughs> yeah, totally. So uh, People are bringing their kids to these shows. If you get a good spot on the rail and you are drinking beer all day, you're going to have to go pee and you're going to lose your spot on the rail. Or bring a Gatorade bottle. Well, what, whatever you need to do. <laughs> nobody, nobody really? Nobody. I thought you said you've toured. You mean right? to pee in? Yes. Dude, I'm you not don't want to lose your spot in the Gatorade bottle. It's like not. Like are you telling me that when we go see Metallica, which by the way, Paul's going to the Detroit show with us? Oh yeah. Are you telling me that if we get up on the rail, you're going to pee into a bottle during battery, or just on, or just on the floor, or there's some? Will asshole you let next us know before you start? Of course, I'll let you guys over. know. But you know what, dude? Else. You can pee on me, man. <laughs> man, I appreciate that. <laughs> so if Clint got stung by jellyfish, <laughs> you would immediately would, run over to you. I, I, you I, I wouldn't even let him ask me. I would just, I would just be running up to him with my pants down, ready to go. I'm like, dude, I didn't get some of my jellyfish. I just, I just hurt my foot for a second. And you're just peeing on my foot. I just foot. tripped. I'm like, it's going to feel better. I heard this fixes everything. Oh, it's so much better. <laughs> my Torben sucks. Uh, <clears throat> he goes on to say, out of the eight times I've seen Metallica, this was the best they've ever sounded. The tempos were on point for each song and the boys were in the pocket. 
I love that at this point in this band's career, they're in their 50s, they're, they've made their 10th record. Yeah. They've already created a legacy that people will care about as long as people care about music. And this dude is saying they've sounded as good as he's ever seen them. That's great. It's fucking awesome. I've seen them twice, and I mean, you know, about seven years apart. And I thought they were way better than when I saw them in Australia. That was still a kick-ass show and one of the most memorable nights of my life. But when I saw them in Detroit, I mean, I'm sorry, in Philly, they were fucking awesome. Well, I don't know if it's if it's because they're getting older or sobriety or they're doing less shows, but they, they're working really hard and they sound yeah. great. It's paying off. It's it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be a fan of this man. Very. Uh, uh, okay. He says, I know a lot of hardcore fans complain about the quote-unquote stock set list for the shows. That was my Lars, by the way. <laughs> it, it also sucks. Um, but the shows are for the newer fans and they're playing to a much larger audience. People around me were losing their shit over the Black Album songs. Now, this is what I keep telling people is like, us diehards, I get it. We want to hear all of our deep cuts, all of our little songies that we sure. love. But this stadium tour is not for us. It's just not for us. I know that bums a lot of people out, but they're going to play entertainment. They're going to play. They're going to play black album shit. The thirtieth anniversary shows will be for us. Well, their tuning room videos are for us. Yes, all the little nuggets they give us are sufficient. And when they do the arena tour next year, they're going to, as we saw, because the Uniondale show was the arena show they did already, and, right. it, and it had some kind of deeper cut nuggets. In yeah, it. totally. Because they're playing to 12,000 people instead of 50. I get it. So this dude's right. Uh, he, he ends his email by saying, sorry for the long email. Just had to geek out. Keep up the great work and metal up your ass in Detroit Rock City. <clears throat> nice. Thanks, well, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Our next email is from Leonardo Cislo. Hey, guys, I just found your website. And as a Metallica fan, I couldn't resist. I already downloaded all the episodes so far. I listened to the first five. And let me tell you, what a great podcast. Loved it. Been a fan since 92. Uh, saw them first on May 8th, 1993. God, that would have been a great era to see them in. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, they are a huge part of my life and, are, of course, my favorite band. So I really enjoy your conversations. Great work. Looking forward to more Metal Up Your Podcast. He added some S's there. Well, he put the word ass in there. He did, yeah. He capitalized <laughs> Pretty it. Pretty good. Made sure we saw it. Pretty good stuff. Uh, Leonardo, that's awesome. What a, I mean, God, I can't imagine seeing them in 93. That would have been great. If I had a time machine, my one time to go see them, it would, this is going to bum some people out. It would be the poor touring me era. Really? 96, Interesting. 97. Yeah. Uh, if I had a time machine, I would probably, because it's one of my most viewed uh, YouTube clips as far as like old Metallica live footage. Cliff Burton's last be, show. You know what? It would be post Cliff Burton, actually. I would love to have seen Cliff Burton, but uh, Seattle 89 from the live oh, shit binge and yeah. purge. It's like, it's unstoppable. Paul. If you had a time machine, what era would you want to see Metallica in? Say in anger, this is Paul Moak. <laughs> <laughs> Probably around 2003 I would have seen him at the prison. <laughs> the St. Anger video. Yeah. Uh, but this has to go with how I got into Metallica, but it would be the Black Album tour. All right. yeah. I, actually, it would be the co-headlining tour with Guns N' Roses. Oh, oh my God. gosh. Yeah, Was it 92? Uh, but not the show where, where they rioted. Yeah, no. <laughs> Montreal. I'd like to go to Montreal when Hetfield got burned and Axel stormed off stage. All right, so this next email is from Joshua Titorenko. Uh, this is uh, the Joshua Metallica fan from the forums. Yeah. He's a kid who loves the show, real sweet dude. Here it's, hey guys, it's me from the forums. Thank you for reading my questions and my album ranking. I guess we read some of his stuff on a previous fan episode. So You're welcome. He's just saying thanks, thanks, dude. We love reading all your shit when you bring it in, and uh, even if we don't get to it, we respond to it through the email. Yeah. So. All right, this next email is from Tony Tambe. Um, Tambe? Tambe? Not sure how to pronounce it, but there you go. Tambe. 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 Um, hey, guys, I'm, I'm loving the show. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Metallica's song lengths. Um, 
they've always written written long songs and many of them are my favorites master ride the lightning justice um are my favorite albums it seems that what uh, what they lack as artists are the ability to edit themselves i don't think they allow producers to help them shape the song structures enough cough cough lars or uh, leave songs off the album. I think it weakens the overall product. I love Death Magnetic and Hardwired, and I would only cut out a couple of songs from each if I needed to. Um, but if a few of the eight-minute songs were edited down to six minutes, then it would be more um, palatable, not just for the masses, but even for big fans like me. Um, I, this is, this is uh, I think, pretty uh, subjective here. Um, well, I like some, <clears throat> some other songs that are, you know, like on Justice, that are eight minutes long. On the one hand, I do think their ability to make an eight-minute song like Master of Puppets not be boring yeah. is kind of what makes Metallica Metallica. It's what sets them apart, in my opinion, from all metal bands. Well, I think they have, and Paul could probably chime in on this one being the producer, but I mean, I feel like they have let producers do that. I mean, there's the Black Album. Well, I think I totally... There, there's even a scene in... A, the There's a documentary on YouTube of The Making of Load. And there's a scene of them playing the memory, like an early version of the memory remains. <clears throat> and Bob Rock is even saying something like, I really do think you guys need to make this shorter. It's a great groove. It's yeah. very different for you guys. I think you need to cut it down. And Yeah. What do you think, Paul? I would think, man, on Death Magnetic and Hardwired, I'd wonder if Greg maybe pushed the band to keep the songs longer. Yeah. You know? I feel that, yeah. Because it would, it would set them apart from the past that they kind of needed to divorce themselves from. Yeah. You know? Well, and I mean, you know, and I'm going to have to disagree with Tony here a little bit. I mean, pretty much the nineties era Metallica was sh- pretty short. Songs. No, I mean, I think you, if you, I mean, yeah. Inner Sandman, Rome, uh, I mean, nothing else matters. I mean, fuel memory remains King, nothing hero of the day until it sleeps. Yeah. These are all pretty short songs. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> the thing, the thing that, that jumps out to me about this is like, Man, it's just so hard to please Metallica fans because it is, yeah. Because after the '90s, it was like, why can't they go back to the epics? And then you got Death Magnetic, where they're referencing themselves and yeah. they have long songs, and it's like, well, their songs are too long. And, yeah, and people are so bummed on it. But I mean, I'm with Tony. I mean, Master Ride and Justice, of course, are some of my favorite records as well. I don't know if I would actually want to hear those songs shorter or like edited down. Like, I mean, I, maybe it's just longevity. I've heard them for so long. I will say the the version of Now That We're Dead that they just did on Colbert, they did kind of a truncated version. Yeah. And I, I liked it. It yeah. was really good. Um, it's a pretty thoughtful question, though. Very. Um, and I do think we're going to get into it when we start talking about Bob Rock. Because mm-hmm. I, I do think that if there was a, ever a producer that did help them edit it was bob i don't think yeah. fleming did it yeah i don't uh, rick rubin who knows what he did <laughs> he and greg he is still finding <laughs> some city while they were recording a record yeah um thanks for the question tony uh right risen omega writes i just pieced that together amazingly um <laughs> you're so smart i was about to say like risen omega oh risen omega <laughs> hey guys i just started listening to the show two days ago just finished today's episode i i'm i don't know what episode that was i'm sorry Love, love, love it. I feel like I'm bullshitting with my buddies about nerd-level Metallica shit when I listen to the show. I was actually referred to it by listening to Alpha Metallica. Wow. wow. Oh, very cool. We've talked about that before. That's a new Metallica podcast where they go through all the songs in alphabetical order. So our friend Tom over at Alpha Metallica, he's already um, he's already reached out so far that he's turning people onto our show. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. And we've had we've had our fans go listen to him as well. So it's a it's all part of the big the bigger picture here, the big family. If you just real quick, if you haven't heard of it, Alpha Metallica is a podcast by our friend Tom, who he's going to go through every Metallica song alphabetically. Ethan and I are going to be guests for Better Than You and Blackened yep. later in the summer. 
So check it out if you haven't heard of it. You can find it wherever you find all this bullshit. He, uh, Risen Omega finishes by saying, would love to hear an episode on live shit, Binge and Purge. Keep up the great work. Love the show. God bless Bob Rock's blouses. Yes. <laughs> we will talk about Bob, Bob Rock's blouses very soon. Here. I would say don't, don't leave out his don't leave out his skin tight white turtleneck. Turtleneck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And his fanny, and pack? His fanny pack. Are you kidding? Yeah. Jeez. And his leather cap. Yeah, and his horizontal uh, waterfall ponytail. <laughs> waterfall ponytail? <laughs> Is that our it's, new band? Horizontal horizontal waterfall ponytail? <laughs> did we just start a new metal band? I think band? we did, yeah. Well, there's no way it's a metal band. And waterfall also, ponytail is like an Appalachian uh, ska band. Here's my question. is: Did did Randy Razorblade really want to wear what he was wearing next to Bob Rock? Or did he have to? Because Was he just trying to, trying to keep his job? Yeah. I think he's trying to keep his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also to answer your, your, uh, your question, uh, yes, we will do, be doing a live shit mention purge episode. I've got the box set right up there. We'll probably um, be doing that one sooner than later, actually. Yeah, like, probably the next two months. We, we'll we need to that. get a hold of a VHS player. Uh, we used to have one here at the house. I don't know what happened to it. Um, I'll let Torben borrow it. He's <laughs> uh, it's in Denmark. I'm sorry, um, but uh, it would be fun to actually watch those VHSs. I, I just, or just looked, watch I just want to adjust the tracking. That's all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even if it's completely clear, just let me adjust the tracking. Uh, next email is from a, a good friend of the podcast. Nick Garcia has written in a bunch. Uh, hey guys, still living the podcast. Thankfully, uh, we're looking forward to the next uh, week's Bob Rock episode. Well, here we are. Hello. Hello, Bob Rock episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know some fans say that Bob Rock ruined Metallica, but I'm not one of those fans. The black album load reload sounded fucking amazing. Um, it's a good thing. Bob only produced those three albums. Hang on. And never any others that he also played bass on that sound like crap. Okay. Uh, he's making a joke. I didn't think he was going to go into a joke, but he did. So I shouldn't have paused. My bad. I don't read much. You kind of killed the flow of the joke, bro. I really did. Should I do it again? Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing Bob only produced those those three albums and ne- and never any others that he also played bass on that sound like crap. <laughs> oh, he's talking about St. Anger. <laughs> Nick. You that crazy Nick Garcia. He also goes on to say classic Nick. Also looking to the recap of the Detroit show. If you guys uh, talk for an hour about that show that Ethan just went to see, I fully expect the episode uh, of the show you guys go to to be two hours. That's very possible. I kind of have a plan. I hope you guys are both into this. I think it'd be really fun to record an episode on the drive up, like a road trip episode, parking lot episode, recap episode as we're driving home. The trilogy shouldn't get in an accident. Love what do you? <laughs> whoever's driving just can wear like a little Janet Jackson uh, headset mic or like a lapel <laughs> mic or something. Yeah, oh, I, I would call it a Britney Spears mic, but that's a genera- okay. that's a generational. It is. Yeah, I know. I'm older than you. <laughs> they both um, did it. Nick, thanks for writing in, and sorry for ruining your joke. <laughs> it's a pretty good joke, though. It's pretty good. It is a shame that it is a shame that Bob made in anger. It is kind of a shame. We'll get into. Oh, we're getting okay. into that, okay. dude. <laughs> okay. Uh, Eric Moore writes, "Hey, dudes." Uh, that was my own inflection, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to reach out to you guys and let you know that I really enjoy listening to your show every week. As a fellow musician, I really appreciate the way that you guys are able to articulate and explain so many of the things that Metallica does, which maybe a lesser trained ear wouldn't catch. Also, I'm totally looking forward to the gear episode. It's surprising to me the people that want to hear that gear episode, because I'm afraid it's going to be super boring. I feel like it might be, but we got to do it. Uh, well, we're definitely going to do it. He writes, thanks for contributing all of this and putting it out there for everyone. This is great stuff. Please don't ever delete, delete it. it. Corbin voice, he writes in parentheses. Oh, and add one to the beer list if either of you pass through one of the 10 square miles of Delaware in the future. <laughs> Hi. He says either, but I'm not in both. Delaware. <laughs> There's only one beer available. That's right. We'll, well have to split it. Eric, if we're ever magically whisked away to Delaware, 
Uh, we will take you up on that beer offer. I don't know what our, our beer tab is at, but we've got a lot of offers for beer. You from, guys know that scene listeners. in Wayne's World when they're they get bought out by the corporate sponsors and they're having oh, yeah. to do the like, hey, we're in Hawaii. Oh, we're Look in Lakahiki. Come yeah. on, you want to land me? And then they're like, it's like Delaware. Like, hi, I'm in, in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be magically whisked away to Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> okay. All right, our next email is from uh, Johanna B. And this is uh, Joe, by the way. Joe B., Joe, sorry. our new patron. Ooh, excuse me. My, my apologies. Joe, what's up, dudes? Oh, I think that's... Uh, never mind. I'm not going to ruin a joke again. Uh, what's up, dudes? Uh, absolutely excellent podcast. It's been about three weeks since I stumbled upon it on Reddit, and I've been tearing through each episode in order. Uh, you have great chemistry, and I laugh out loud at least once <clears throat> At least once e- e- each time. Last was when Ethan uh, described the Hulk Hogan album, which inspired my intro. What's up, dudes? That's what absolutely excellent podcast. <laughs> well, I should have read that whole email in Hulk Hogan voice. Well, because what comes through in that episode that I don't think you were planning on is that you know that record pretty well. That Hulk Hogan record. Hulk Hogan, you and, the re- lot of, Hulk you Hogan knew- and the wrestling boot band. <laughs> 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 you knew so many details about it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, like then track six, he does a ballad, and then track yeah, seven, he's a harmonica. It's called Hulkster in Heaven. <laughs> I'm not, kill, not kidding. When we when we get, when we meet up in heaven, we'll uh, we'll tag up again. Um, <laughs> this is not a joke. I'm serious. Hey, that's a great fucking record. You guys watch your mouths, okay? Dude, we're like preparing for this Bob Rock episode. I'm like, did you listen to like Load and Reload today? You're like. Yeah, but in reality, you're just fucking burning down this whole cover. All right, like, okay, li- okay, listen. It's like Pet Sounds, London Calling, Blonde on Blonde, Hulk Hogan and the Wrestling Boot Band. What's up, dudes? No, here's the thing. I, I, I've actively looked for that seat. I know it's in this room somewhere. I've torn apart half this room when I've told people about this because they don't believe me. I'll look it up online and send them a picture, but you know what? Joe knows what I'm talking about. Joe knows. Joe knows. Thanks, brother. <laughs> God Thanks, sister. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next email. No, no, she has questions. Sorry, I, I just got so sidetracked by the Hulk Hogan record. Hulkster, man, overcome. Oh, I'm sorry. All right, two questions. In each of your top, uh, oh, sorry. In each of your top five bands, what are the other four? Mm. Okay, so Metallica's in our top five. Yeah, for me, yeah. Um, I can, if you don't mind me starting. Let's do it. I don't know if this will disappoint people, but I do actually have a band that I love more than Metallica, and it's tattooed on my leg. My favorite band of all time is The Clash. I could. I wish you would have just said if I knew it, because I would have nailed that. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but Metallica is 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 definitely the as close as you can get. Second, um, I'd have to say number three is Elvis Costello. Wow, I didn't know that about you. Love Elvis Costello. Uh, fun fact, and I'm not trying to impress my wife because she's in the room. Uh, the first date I ever took my wife on was to see Elvis Costello in Long Beach, California. Oh. October 1st, 2002. Very cool. <laughs> little sappy moment on the podcast. Sorry, guys. Um, was that number three? Uh, number four, I'm going to have to say, and this 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 is a list that always changes, So, um, but this is definitely, I think, in Grinks, it's also tattooed on me, is Rocket from the Crypt, who wow. played the Orion Festival. Wow. You have, Rocket, the, you have a poster of Rocket from the Crypt poster, up on here. I have a, um, a bottle opener right there, and I have a tattoo on my leg right here. Wow. Big fan. Top five. And again, if I could talk about my wife again, she took me to see Rocket for my birthday one year. And then we went to Bill Cosby. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, we, I thought I thought she was taking me to Rocket from the When crib. you said, remember that to Callie, you looked at me like, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember not doing that. Um, was the fifth one? It was before he was creepy. Um, 
Well, he was always creepy. It's before we knew he was before creepy, he was to creepy, be fair. Yeah. Number five uh, is always a tough one. Um, but what? Uh, I wouldn't put that in my top five, but I love Toots of the Maytals. Uh, I'm going to have to say, and I know this sounds very cliche but in, in the reggae world, but I'm going to have to put Bob Marley as number five. Well, he's yeah. the Beatles of reggae. He is the Beatles of reggae. There's yes. no doubt. Paul, top five bands, if one of them obviously would be Metallica, what are your other four? Uh, Metallica wouldn't be number one. I just want to put That's it okay. Up. This is okay. in no order. Okay. No it's too order. hard. Okay. Music is our lives. Oh, we can't. Sorry, we can't. In, mine was pretty much in order. Wow. That's oh. fine. Do your thing. That's okay. okay. Well, you, no, hard, you hardly even knew what the fifth one was. No particular order. Yeah, I'm going to do the no particular order as well. But number one is the Beatles. Yeah. Nirvana. Yeah. Duh, you guys know that about Oh, me. yeah. Um, so if Metallica is number three, got to gotta have G&R in there. Mm, strong. Yep. Very. Uh, and then Pink Floyd. That's a good number five. We have a lot of overlap. Mine would be the Beatles. Uh, but they almost don't even count because they, they're like the earth. They're yeah. like the wind and shit. They're, they're like, just, they're, they're elements. Yeah. <clears throat> that, well, that's why I didn't put them in my top five. I was if you guys picked up on that, but, uh, to, to go real quick for mine in no particular order, definitely be Radiohead, Pearl Jam, Pink Floyd, Guns N' Roses. There you go. Um, it's a good question. So, Very good question. oh, then, oh, you're going to like this next question that Joe has. All right, Joe asks, uh, I'd love to hear more about fretless basses. <laughs> you need to be the one to answer this, too. Um, which have come up a few times. What are they, and how can you tell if someone's playing uh, playing with one on it? Sorry, my pages stuck together playing on a recording. Um, well, they sound like shit. Aw, um, uh, boo. Don't boo me. I don't like fretless basses. They're perfect in the right moment. <laughs> Just have but that. describe them objectively, though. Okay, a fretless bass, so... Um, Okay, so on, on if you're looking at someone playing guitar or bass, on the neck, where their left hand would be if they're a right-handed guitar player, uh, there are little lines you might see. And if there are no lines, usually that means there's no frets. So when you slide your hand up uh, on a string to, to a certain note, you don't get this kind of... Uh, I get, how would you describe it? like a like a pulse going up to it? Like it's um, it's just well, it's very like smooth. A, an upright bass. Yeah, like an upright bass. It's like a no cello frets. almost. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a fretless bass here to give you an example. Because you uh, hate them. I love upright upright basses. Don't get me wrong. I don't like electric fretless basses. Yeah, so on Until It Sleeps, if you listen to the beginning of Until It Sleeps, the bass sound that you hear that Jason is playing is a fretless bass. And I don't like it. If you know the Pink Floyd song, Hey You, there's a very famous fretless bass, sort of Roger Waters classic, almost even a solo. The verses in My Mom Coming Home, Ozzy Osbourne. My Mom Coming Home, Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne. Very clear, pronounced, <clears throat> yeah. fretless bass. Doesn't Jeff Emmett on some Pearl Jam songs play, play fretless? Oh, yeah. He does, yeah. Totally. Is it a fretless eight string? No, no that's, that's the hammer. hammer. Yeah, that's, that's the Jeremy sound. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, this is just my taste, uh, Joe, but I don't like fretless electric basses. Um, even on until it sleeps. I just, that part bothers me. Once it all comes in, you know, the rest of the band comes in, I'm fine. I think it's just, I guess let me specify, on their own, Get it out of here! I don't want it. It's just it's there were just... some eighty songs that took it over the top for sure. Now I do like Primus though. I didn't even know he played a fretless bass in Primus. Definitely, I don't know about all the time, but a lot of times he does. There's also a fretless bass on Nothing Else Matters. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> so that's a fretless bass. It's a bass without frets, <laughs> to put it most simply. Yeah. Well, I was trying to explain what maybe what frets were. This is no, the, no, no. You did a good job. The markers? Did I? I don't know. No, it was good. 
Who wants to learn guitar from me? So Joe's, Joe's, the end of Joe's email is, she has an episode idea. I'd love to hear an episode all about Pusshead one day, or maybe more broadly about Metallica's t-shirt album and other merch designs artwork over time. His artwork has such, had such a profound influence on Metallica's aesthetic throughout their career, and it's hard for me to literally visualize their history without it. I agree with that. Uh, thank you both for doing what you do. I'm a permanent fan, and here's another free beer offer. Let me know if you're ever in New York, not New Jersey. Ooh, ooh, all right. Shots fired. Well, I was just in New Jersey, so couldn't get that beer. We should do an episode on Pusshead. That would be fun. Uh, he, oh, no, I'd love to. We, uh, when Clint and I first were developing this and talking about episode ideas, uh, we didn't necessarily say let's do a Pusshead episode, but we did say let's do an episode about artwork and merch designs, things like that, because, I mean, they're iconic. I mean, Paul, you're wearing a Justice for All t-shirt, and, you know, it's that's one of the classic designs. It's the album artwork with the green logo. and Absolutely. And Pusshead did a lot of kind of classic, like the skulls and stuff, uh, yeah. uh, merch, but he famously got on the map because his final or his finally got to do artwork for St. Anger which say what you will about that record I actually like the artwork the I, love, I love that I think the cover. artwork is fucking killer that, I mean that's what got me excited about that record I was like oh Pusshead's doing the artwork this is gonna be great it's gotta be great they're going back to him St. Anger Day dude and then king 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 St. Anger Day <laughs> <laughs> so those are our emails alright that was fun so we're here with our friend Paul Moak hey Paul hey Paul chimed in a little bit on those Paul's emails. Paul's still here. He's still here, amazingly. Yeah, he amazingly. <laughs> Somehow he yeah. decided Actually, to stay. Actually, super nervous and super excited. Don't be nervous. Hey, before we go any further. What you got? You guys You had this are... cocked and loaded. What is this? Yeah, yeah. You're letting me be your first guest. Okay. Paul has an envelope in his hand. We don't know I'm what's in it. I'm so honored to be here. Okay. That I thought I couldn't come here without giving you some kind of a gift. So I want each of you to reach into this envelope. There, oh my goodness. Are there two things in here? So there's a small manila envelope. And, okay. I'm uh, not going to look at the return address. Yeah. Unless this is... It's probably Amazon. Ethan's reaching in. Are they two different things? Should I hide it from Clint? Uh, it's one thing. Oh, yeah. Wait, the cat's going to be out of the bag. Just pull them both oh, out and give me whatever yeah. the second one is. <laughs> what is it? I'll give you this one. Speaking of St. Anger. Oh my God. Yeah. St. Anger stickers. Oh, there's a bunch. Well, there's oh, three. Oh, one's for so, me, dude. Come oh, one's on. for we'll take it. <laughs> he got himself a gift for coming onto the show. No, these are you know, these are like these are uh, full color Saint Anger stickers. They're about as big as a CD jewel case with yeah. the parental advisory. Yes, with the parental advisory. This is dude. This, this is I thought going, we were talking about Bob Rock. It's the way he went out. This is going on my laptop tonight. There you go. <laughs> if, if any of you have seen my laptop, which none of you have, why would you? I won't put this on my car. Is that okay? Yeah. I don't, don't want, want people beat around up. Nashville to know they're listening to this record. <laughs> well, my or laptop has one sticker that graces it, and it's the Kiss Army sticker. I will now put the Saint Anger wow. fist on it. Wow, dude, that's strong. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing with me and stickers: I, ha- I I have to find the right place for it. Sure. I had this. Uh, you don't want to waste mo- it. That's right. most people with stickers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like, uh, for instance, I had this. This uh, I ride an old, old vintage Vespa, and I had this die cut Vespa sticker for six, seven years, sitting in this like notebook in my backpack, and like. And then finally, I put it like on, <clears throat> on this like workbox I had, and now that workbox is in my shed. So, yeah. I would think your Vespa, your Vespa would be the per- the perfect place for this sticker. <laughs> yeah, I put, couldn't even get that. Put out. A, I put a Saint Anger sticker on my scooter. Yeah. All right, maybe I'll do that. Hey, thanks for the gift, Paul. Hey, thanks. Thanks Paul. for having me. Of I'm course, yeah. Actually, really, really, really looking forward to this. Well, we're in the middle of it. We we've yeah. already <laughs> done a lot of it. Yeah. Where was? I? <laughs> you're you're, so, you're here. So Paul Moak is a guitar player. He is a producer, an engineer. He runs a studio in town called The Smokestack. And uh, it's one of the coolest studios in town. Easily. He's a great friend of ours. We've known him a long time. And he's a pure, pure music lover. So 
it only makes sense to have Paul on to talk about Bob Rock, shed some light yeah. on sort of the mysteries behind what production is, what producers actually do, where their value lies. Yeah, so we're totally. super stoked to have you, dude. Thank you, man. So we have, <clears throat> so this is our first guest, so we're going to set a, a template for our future guests, which are going to have a lot more guests coming yeah, up in exactly. the future. Yeah, we, we've talked about this before. We, we, we basically narrowed down five questions for guests. And this is for you to sort of get a pulse on where Paul stands as a Metallica fan, because there yeah. are certain questions in the Metallica pantheon that can sort of orient you with someone very quickly. Exactly. So some people listening right now might hear the question one and bolt and hit pause or delete. They might delete that. <laughs> or other people are going to be like, fuck yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. So no pressure. Yeah, I don't want to let your fans down. All right. All right, question one. How'd you get into Metallica? Easy. MTV. Yeah, I'm an MTV right. kid, man. I'm, yeah. I'm 37 okay. years old, so I came online, as Clint likes to say, because of videos. So, I mean... Was it a deal where you maybe saw the Inner Salmon video and then you were like, I've got to go buy that record? Or uh, Inner Salmon, I did not see the one video. I, I, may, I maybe saw it in passing, but I saw the the Inner Sandman video and they kind of like it was real quick Inner Sandman uh, Nothing Else Matters yep. uh, Rome Unforgiven yeah and it was just like I was a, I was a Nirvana fan like because as a a budding guitar player I could already play those songs you know yeah um, and so I was just waiting for <laughs> everything's fine I was waiting it. for Smells Like Teen Spirit to come on or whatever and that was the glory days of MTV where, by the way, for those of you that are younger, that are listening, they didn't have shows like the reality TV it shows. It was mostly music videos. Yeah. Or it was shows about music videos. Right. I think There I, wasn't like teenage mom, no, you know, whatever. No, I think the only non-music show back then was uh, the real life. Or real this world. was pre-Real World. <laughs> real life. No, they, I, I remember real the world, debut of Real World. Yeah, it yeah. came out New York, or after was it all New that. New York or San Francisco, the first one. Uh, I think New York. New York, yeah. And I remember that coming on and being like, this is the worst program on television. Yeah. And I can't wait for this to go away. And then I didn't realize that all of television would become that. I know. And then they started MTV2, and you're like, yes, finally, Gosh. music videos again. And then that turned into reruns of yeah. teenage pregnancy shows and stuff. No, Paul, Paul is so right. You, you, so he his video was Smells Like Teen Spirit. Mine might have been Jeremy or something. Yeah. But you would just sit there and wait. For your... You know what was cool about that, man? It was like, while you're waiting on your band that you knew and you were connected to and you were loved, you know, you loved, you might see a Dr. Dre video. Right, you get turned or, on other stuff. Yeah, TLC or something that I have oh, yeah. no, nothing in common with. Don't go chasing waterfalls. But, but we now, did, but we now did looking back, I'm like, I kind of like this stuff. Man. I know. It's like, yeah. Dude, I had crazy sexy At the cool. time, I was like, uh-uh, give me Metallica. <laughs> so how much time passed? So you see the videos, you get turned on the videos before you got a record in your hands. Do you uh, it wasn't long yeah. at all. Uh, My mom I mean, used to give me 20 bucks when we go to the mall, which was like once a month. Oh, yeah. And that just, to me, meant a CD. Yeah, absolutely. I have so many stories of skipping school for, like I skipped school to get yield with my girlfriend. Nice. 98? Uh, yeah. And uh, we, we got crystal burgers, you know, like the little <laughs> square burgers. Yum. We're driving back on the campus and the track coach was like, just happened to be on campus as we were driving in. He's like, waved us down. He's like super mad. Busted. He's like, where'd you guys go? We're like, uh, the record store. And he's like, did you guys sign out? And we're like, 
no <laughs> he's like what's in the bag <laughs> what's in the bag i gave him the bag and he like he it, like he had done it a thousand times he stuck four fingers down and grabbed <laughs> four crystal burgers took them out Gave the bag back to us. He's like, get back to class. That's like, <laughs> he wanted a crystal that's like, burger. That's like gangster shit. Yeah. That's like Scorsese kind of shit. But you also got away with it. At that point, oh, mo- yeah. moving forward, you knew what your uh, your out was. Yeah, exactly. Make sure we get four extra crystal burgers. You can just buy the buy the principal or whatever, yeah. buy the coach for those totally. burgers. All right. So the All next right. question, question is. Question two, favorite Metallica record. Man, it's going to have to be the Black Album. Solid. I know that's going to piss a lot no, of people off. That's fine. But it has to do, it's like. With you and load and reload, it's totally when I came online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there, there, are, there are preteen memories that are just the strongest images in my brain that can yeah, never man. be replaced. Totally. All right, top three Metallica songs. Uh, in that theme, no particular order. Okay. Uh, Master of Puppets. Great song off the Black Album. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that would be my my non Black Album song. Yeah. Um. Man, the Unforgiven. Yep. Oh, amen. The lyrics to that song. Beautiful. Gosh, I actually texted the entire lyric to that song to a friend the other day who's going through something like, hey, check this out. <laughs> um, That's cool. And I'm going to say Through the Never. Yes. Great one. Hell yeah. yeah. Nice. Deep cut. Yeah. yeah, deep cut. And also kind of uh, for the Black Album, that was kind of one kind of, of thrashy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Dude. Great song. Nice work. Question four. Jason or Cliff? Ooh. I mean, because of my age, I'm going to have to say Jason. Woo, woo. <laughs> We're used to doing the wolf and man howl. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> and you know what? I think you guys have said all this stuff on the podcast, and I've religiously listened to every episode, but the passion that that guy had for Metallica yeah. and not being an original member, but coming in and literally loving that band more than maybe the band themselves, like... I, I he'll just forever be my hero. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I wonder if it's maybe because we've in our career paths, which maybe we're working it back retroactively, but we we've all been side guys in our careers. Right. So I, I wonder if there's part of us that's like that wants that opportunity so much and could see how yeah. much Jason appreciated it. He sort of has become a our guy in that sense. Yeah. Well, and you're, you know, with Jason, you're kind of rooting for the little guy. You know, it's like the under an underdog story with him. Like he yeah. came in, he was hazed for most of his career in the band, and yeah, you know, but he owned it. I mean, he like I've said before, he I feel like he kind of became like the MC for Metallica, like the hype man. Yeah, yeah. you know, he's like the flavor flavor of Metallica. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. <laughs> he loves that. You know how much Jason wanted to say, "Yeah, boy," but Hatfield wouldn't let him. <laughs> I just act- really think Echo Brain would have destroyed the monolith that is Metallica. Yeah, and that's a common opinion. That's why opinion. he had to go. That's, yeah. That's I, a common opinion I these days. Right. <laughs> Seeing right, how cool. big Echo Brain is now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last question. Where do you stand on St. Anger? Um, real quick. taking too long to answer? No, I, no. <laughs> here it is. <laughs> I, I hate the album. It's obviously in the last place of my top ten but I texted you guys about this or maybe emailed the podcast or whatever because I wanted to be <laughs> official. But uh, if St. Anger had to happen to get the documentary that is the greatest thing that's ever been given to me in my life, which yeah. is, and I have kids. No offense, which family. Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, to me, it's worth it. If they had to make that to get where they are now, yeah. 
it's totally worth it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's they had to go through that, and I. But I'll never listen to it. <laughs> when you, which I think is, I think it's really fair to say, like it's my least favorite record, but to have that perspective, yeah. Because the people who do defend it, because it's sort of indefensible. But the people who do defend it, that's sort of how they defend it. Yeah. The people yeah. who like it for whatever reason, that's usually what they end up saying is like, well. Yeah. They had to go through this fire, right? They made the record that was honest about the fire. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. It's it's okay to say it's not good though, too. Yeah, it's it's okay to say that. Yeah. The but if that's sound the record, that great. but you know what's funny? When I watch the documentary, I kind of start getting into some yeah, of the songs. Me too. And then I go to the record. I'm like, no, same. Yeah, nope, not happening. Same. Yeah. I, the day after watching that documentary, <clears throat> I listen to Saint Anger usually. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just like hoping that some new thing happens, and it's like, no, this this sucks. Oh, yeah, my. it still does. So I won't be getting that one on vinyl. I'll say that. Oh, I'm going to get it on vinyl. You, you got to get it on vinyl. Yeah, the collection. Okay, fine. Come That's on. True. Just don't unwrap it. Yeah, you, it. Can't, you can't form Voltron with, when you're missing a leg, <laughs> so I guess I'll have to get St. Anger. <laughs> that's our first Transformers reference. Well, that's not Transformers. That's Voltron. Oh. Yeah. I believe I have a little, well, a little Voltron toy up there somewhere. Wait, what's Voltron? Voltron? Wait, what's the, what's the big Transformer guy? Optimus well, there's Prime. Optimus Prime and Prime. Megatron. And, yeah. oh, well, there we go. Same shit. Okay. Uh, it's <laughs> not the same shit, Clint. Jeez, I thought you were a toy guy. Voltron was a, a, whole separate, a whole separate cartoon, uh, and it was like five. They were like lions, or like uh, they were like you know cats, like battle cats. Why are you looking at me like I'm, because you I watched it when I was me, seven. Like, I know what you're talking about. I fucking love Voltron. Oh no! And then they all combined to make one big dude and battle evil. Cool. I'll <laughs> I'll check that out immediately. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, I just lost my co-host. Are we? Uh, let's talk about Bob Rock. We should. I think, yes. I mean, yeah, we, we just start talk, we start talking about St. Anger, so why not get into Bob Rock? So we're going to burn the facts down. We, we do the facts. Some people don't like that, but I like that we kind of- I love it, we, So Paul likes it. Yeah. We get the facts out of the way. You might learn some you didn't know. It's essentially our Wikipedia search, uh, and it sort of contextualizes our conversation. Yes. So let's do the boring facts. Robert Jens Rock, born April 19th, 1954. He's 63 years old. Born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Which is where Neil Young's from. That's cool. You guys ever been up to uh, Winnipeg? I yes. have. It's, it's real the, cold. It's the coldest it's, I've ever yeah, been. Yeah, coldest I've ever been. Really cold. I'm actually spending my birthday this year in uh, Winnipeg. Because you're because of looked, work. I looked at my tour schedule, and usually when I when I get a schedule that gets into October, I'm like, where am I? Winnipeg. Okay, it's gonna be fucking cold in October. Could be worse. Could be January. When I, when I was up there, I was I was with this French Canadian band, and we were doing a week of TV crap. So we had to stay there for a whole week, and I had to go buy an entire new wardrobe oh, yeah. to not die. <laughs> like, I took warm clothes, but I had to buy, like, the underwear that you wear and socks yeah. and gloves and a face thing. Yeah, I just remember leaving the hotel to get in the van to go to the venue. Yeah. And it was only, like, a 40-foot walk. And like, and frostbite. No, literally, there were little particles in the air that were cutting my face. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty metal. All to say, that's where Bob Rock's from, and it's yeah. fucking cold. Uh, began his career as a guitarist for the Paolas, and the S in Paolas is a dollar sign, which is <laughs> amazing. Kind of terrible and awesome at the same time. Uh, you're welcome, Kesha. Jeez. <laughs> they had a hit in 1980 with Eyes of a Stranger, which was in the soundtrack for Valley Girl, the film with Nicolas Cage. Really? Really? I didn't know that. See, this facts portion is See, just I'm, killing. I, I'm a co-host here, and I'm learning things. I uh, didn't realize that. I have to go rewatch that. The movie. band Paola's won a Juno Award for Single of the Year that year, 
1987, they changed their name to Rock and Hyde because the other dude in the band was this guy named Paul Hyde, and they had a hit single in Canada with a song called Dirty Water. I confess to you both, I've never heard either of these songs. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, neither have I. But I'm guessing this is the band that they're making fun of in A Year and a Half in the Life when they're looking at the vinyl. Oh, yeah. They're like, this is when Bob was a chick. <laughs> totally. Well, they, 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 yeah, they poke fun at him because him and the band like on the back of the record and the singer's on the cover or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, why is this guy get... get they get, put get, the pretty guy in front hoping it would sell records. They're like, did it work? They're like, no. No. <laughs> uh, in addition to being a producer, he also was a big engineer. And one of the biggest records he engineered before his production career kind of took off was Permanent Vacation by Aerosmith. Gosh. No big deal. Which, that's a pretty massive record. Massive. No big deal. And not only was it full of hits, but it's it sounds great. And it kind of changed, yeah. changed the way that level of rock writing and production and recording happened you know agree well, and, and it's interesting that he that he engineered that too because i mean there was that big 80s sound but i mean aerosmith you know has been a band for so long like since i think 70 or 71 mm-hmm. and for them to kind of get into that big 80s rock sound and be really successful at it is pretty cool um you know i'm sure a lot of bands that were kind of around the 70s i like got into the 80s and wanted to do that big sound and like just failed at it yeah so before we start our, our loose combo, let's go through just some of, for those of you who don't know, here's some of Bob Rock's more notable credentials as a producer. And I'm not going to, we have a list here. I won't name all of them. I did write the Young Canadians because they have the song, <laughs> the record Hawaii, the Let's Go to Fucking Hawaii. Let's go to fucking Hawaii. That he mentions. <laughs> uh, the Subhumans, Death Was Too Kind, The Cult, Sonic Temple, which is a massive record. That is a great record, yeah. And that's, uh, that's 1989. These these few records I'm going to mention here before the Black Album are kind of the reason that he was on the map for Lars to have wanted to choose Bob Rock. So the Cult, Sonic Temple, Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, yeah, Massive. Yeah, Motley Crue. What? what? Did I, what? No, remember, I'm just, sorry, I'm quoting, I'm quoting a year and a half. Oh, okay. Motley Crue. <laughs> sorry. I missed that. That's, that's deep, fun. dude. Uh, that's deep, bro. So, David Lee Roth a little deep enough. Quote. <laughs> Then the Black Album. Then he did Bon Jovi, Keep the Faith, uh, Motley Crue, the self-titled Motley Crue record. Boring. The, the cult self-titled record. <laughs> Skid Row, Subhuman Race, which is actually a pretty awesome record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Load, Reload. Veruca Salt, Eight Arms to Hold You. Remember that record? Yeah. Awesome record. Which Eight Arms to Hold You was the rejected title for Help, the Beatles' Help. Oh, wow. I didn't know oh, that. Wow. call it Eight Arms to Hold You. Um, Garage Inc., Brian Adams, On a Day Like Today, S&M, Tonic, Head on Straight, which... Do any of us know Emerson? I do. Yeah. I should have called but him. How do we not talk this. to him about yeah. working with Bob? Uh, we real. can. So Emerson Hart is the lead singer of Tonic. You guys may have known their their big record was called Lemon Parade. Uh, he's a songwriter in Nashville that some of us know. Um, and then he went straight from that to... To Sane Anger, which we will definitely be talking about <laughs> shortly. So, Bob, what are you working on after this record? <laughs> uh, I'd rather not say. Uh, his first collaboration with Michael Buble which would later lead him to win a Grammy. Yep. Uh, he did Gavin Rosdale, who's the lead singer of Bush. He did a solo record in 2008. American Bang, who were other friends of ours. Yep. It's a band now called the Cadillac Three, which I know Jaron and Neil. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I haven't talked to them about this either. Uh, 311, Universal Pulse in 2011. Ron Sexsmith, one of my favorite songwriters of all time. In 2011, The Offspring, Summer Nationals 2014, and another cult record in 2016. I mean, he's done. Yeah, he's, he's got he's got quite the catalog. He does. Yeah. Even yeah. since you know, some people make a record like the Black Album, and then just especially when a genre of music like that genre kind of like becomes passe. Sure. Kind of like Fleming, you know. Mm-hmm. Almost. It's cool to see that he's been active. I haven't heard a lot of the records he's done since, but he did win a Grammy. He won a Grammy for the Michael Bublé record "To Be Loved." 
That's awesome. He's in the Canadian. He's in the Canadian Hall of Fame. He was honored in 2007 by the Juno Awards for his career as a producer, uh, his contribution to popular music. That's awesome. He's got some cool shit going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, he's done so, stuff since the late 70s n- until present day. I yeah. mean, he's still a working producer. You know, that's that's awesome. I mean, are you hoping to still do that when you're 63 years old? Yeah, man. You know, it's it's funny to think about. You can say no. It's we all, well, I always <laughs> say like, if I ever have a record that hits that on that kind of level where you're you're literally changing the sca- the landscape of music. Would you feel like you need to get up the next day and go to the studio? And and I have a great admiration and respect for this guy that he's actually done that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. change the landscape of music and then still goes to the to the studio every day to keep pursuing it. That to me says that he's in it for the right reasons. Yeah. It, it sounds like I mean he's got a passion for it for sure. Yeah. I mean I mean some of these huge records he's worked on, I mean he could easily even just with black album money, just be like, yeah, I'm cool. It's going to go retire. And I mean, like, he has a house in Hawaii with a studio in it. Let's go to know? fucking Hawaii. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> he wrote that song just so he could go to Hawaii. One day go to fucking Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let me ask you this. So, or let me just put this out there for our listeners who maybe are a little confused about sure. what the role of a producer is. Like my mom has asked me before, like, uh, cause I'm really into films. Also, my mom likes films too. And so she said like, so because producers on films are very different than very producer. different. A producer yeah. for a film is basically someone who helps get funding for a film. Yep. They sort of get people together. A, a producer is more on a record like a director of a film. Like, do you producer, have a way? Do you have a way of distilling I, kind of I, what a producer? I've does? I've always said the producer in music is most like the director in film. Right. And and what that looks like on a day to day basis on a record is anything from. Um, managing a budget that that is given to them by the label or the artist so you have x amount of dollars and you got to make this record you're not trying to get funding no you've you already got you're, it you're, right. here you go here's your here, thousand bucks paul totally. go ahead have fun and and by the way it needs to be due by this date and so you have a timeline and a budget and uh it's part creative absolutely like helping helping the art artist achieve their vision because a lot of artists don't know they know what they want but they don't know physically how to get there in the studio because the studio is its own and it's it's like a its own little subculture yeah Hmm. so part of its understanding studio language helping artists get their vision across in that language that they may not understand um Part of it's therapy. I mean, bands have a lot. I mean, obviously, if you watch the documentary, bands have a lot of of conflict interpersonally, and and they're also dealing with this business, which is a label, which says they understand music, but they don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. You know, their bottom line is they want to make money off of what they've put money into, and so it's it's part therapy, it's part psychology, it's part just the nuts and bolts of getting a record done. And it's part dealing with people like Lars, you know, <laughs> it's like taking someone that is super controlling and, and I love Lars, like Metallica wouldn't be Metallica without Lars, but taking, taking a guy like that and saying, okay, how do I take this dude and get to the finish line with what I need, but also have it be inspiring and, and have the band excited, have the label excited 
have the radio team excited. There's a lot of people pleasing. And what I love about a guy like Bob Rock is I feel like he kind of turns turns off everything, but we're going to make the band the best that they can be. And uh, obviously up to a certain point. Up until about 2003. Which we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's a little bit about it. And, and so from day to day, it can look anything f- like um, helping. If an artist comes in, they're like, God, man, I broke up with my girlfriend. You know, helping them process that. <clears throat> or I just got dropped by my label. Helping them process that to anything like, man, I'd love for the guitar to sound like it was in outer space. What does that mean? Okay, well, we should put this pedal or this reverb unit on it and make it sound this way. And it's just, it's all of that encompassed into one role. And, um, but the, the main bottom line is getting the project done and delivered. Yeah. Would you say, like, I've always felt like outside of people who make records and kind of know how all this shit works, producers are kind of the unsung heroes of our favorite records because... They're the heroes and the guys that take the blame when the when, when the it, record when, doesn't work. Yeah, when work. it tanks, yes. you're definitely the guy that everyone oh, yeah. hates. Yep. Well, Which, like, for instance, St. Anger, it's like when that came out, they're like, booking Bob Rock, why, totally. why is he still there? Right. I would, I would argue that it's not Bob's fault. I would actually argue that, and we can get into this later, but... I would argue that Metallica wouldn't be together anymore if Bob Rock hadn't been there during St. Anger. I mean, if if they went in to do the songs they had for St. Anger without Bob Rock and some new guy coming in, I mean, they probably would have ran all over the guy. You well, know. they didn't have the songs. That was that, that yeah. was the, there was so much going on with the guys in the band. Right. Yeah. I think <clears throat> I think the large the larger story that's not painted in the movie of St. Anger is that Metallica was about to fall apart and it took, it would take way more than a therapist. It was actually James changing his whole life. Yeah. You know, and, and the movie plays into that a little bit, but who was there to keep, keep like the, the train moving down the tracks for better, for worse while James was gone for like over a year. It seems interesting to me that they kept working on the record. It's like they maybe should have just uh kind of I don't think they really like they didn't go full force with it or anything. No. No, I mean they, they that was that was the whole thing Lars was pissed but about. But they were still was like, like ha- yeah, having the therapy as a band and yeah, that's true. They were doing that, but they I don't, they weren't like actively like cuz when he came back it was like, all right, this is the hours I want to be in the studio right. cuz I got to have family time this and that. Um but to answer well, your question, I, it was Bob Do you Rock. think of it like I mean they certainly, even the biggest band in the world like Metallica, they had label commitments, they had deadlines that they mm-hmm. probably missed when he went to rehab. And, and you know, I get a person that's at that point is like, I don't care about any of this, you know? I don't care about deadlines or dates. Like, I'm working on myself. But maybe Bob Rock was there saying, like, okay, I'm going to keep the label, keep the rest of the band kind of intact while you're working on yourself. Yeah, I think totally. he totally did that. Yeah. Well, and if that record actually had, if, if that snare sound had been sort of revolutionary and changed the way metal drum sound or whatever, if it had kind of, which it did go number one, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it was critically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, critically, but it wasn't because of the snare yeah, sound. Right. It, it was because, because of the name. It was because of the name. Yeah, but, for sure. 
but it ha- but so let's say it was critically and in retrospect was is is a, a hallmark of metal music in the early aughts. You know, he would be seen as a hero for sure. Totally. Well, I wonder if I wonder if the snare thing and some of the other stuff that we hate about that record some was him basically saying, "Okay, what do you want to do, Lars? Because we're just buying time until we figure out what Metallica is going to be. If Metallica is even going to exist. Totally. Yeah. And I I kind of, I have a soft spot in my heart for that record because I feel like I'm not going to listen to it, but what if it took that, them going through that whole deal to get where we are now? And the hardwired experience in this massive tour, mm-hmm. and they're healthy now, and they mm-hmm. sound yeah. great now. Yeah, and that is the beginning of that. I agree. That's yeah. the beginning of sort of the healthy James. But, but I mean, imagine imagine Bob Rock not being there, like you said. Like, well, I think if they we had, wouldn't have, I don't think we'd have Metallica. It's it's fascinating because I think you're right. If they'd had someone. I don't know if they'd had someone like Rick Rubin at that time who would have been like, "Sorry, it's not good." Well, and I think, uh, dude, but I, I don't think that would have worked. I I have nothing to back this up, but I feel like Lars probably left some of those therapy meetings and sat with Bob Rock and actually calmed down and like, like I don't the whole therapist thing. Well, Phil, Phil Tao, I think that was good and ultimately kind of destructive at the same time to Metallica. I think there was some th- some things that he probably definitely touched on that helped the band. But you know, I've been to therapy before. Could you imagine having a therapist around you all the time? No way. And you cam- got, and cameras. You got and which by the way, they're all like, "Well, we got used to the cameras." Well, Cameras, you know, what's the, what's the law? The, um, you don't get used to the cameras. The Heisenberg just, principle. Anything yeah. that's being observed is not behaving naturally. Yeah. So I think you don't... You They didn't get used to the cameras. They just worked learned how to work around yeah. them and survive. Yeah. You know? Can we so can we go a little bit back to when Black Album World before we get too yeah, of course, too yeah, deep into sure. that? It's just so easy to t- t- talk about Saint Anger. Well, it's the, it's the most <laughs> Why? interesting. Because I'm holding the sticker. Yeah, because we all have the stickers, have stickers right now. here in front of us. I've actually put the sticker on my chest now, so I'm actually oh, shirtless. To your <laughs> Clint is wearing nothing but a Saint Anger sticker <laughs> right in the middle of his nipples. <laughs> Sorry, too much info. A little bit. My bad. Here's here's what's interesting to come. Here's what's interesting to me. Yeah. So. They make these three records with Fleming, right? And they make... They had to have known that they that Puppets was going to be one of the most important. No, uh, I mean, they had to have I had some... I wouldn't say most important, but they had to know it was going to do that well. It, that it was really serious. Yeah, I mean, Lightning yeah. did really well, and, and they, they were stoked on that. And surely they knew, like, okay, this is probably going to do at least as good as that. Well, no, but at this point, they've already made Justice. I'm just saying they've made they've made Kill Maul, Ride, Puppets, oh, and you're Justice. Saying like, you're saying, like... I'm kind of getting... I'm ramping... I'm thinking about where they might have been thinking yes. when they hired Bob. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So they're kind of done with their 80s sound. One of the coolest things about Metallica is that they, they kind of kept reaching forward. Yeah. And the the controversial shit about this era of 91, 90, when they get Bob in, is they, they wanted to go commercial, right? They wanted yeah. to have hookier songs, shorter songs. They got the guy that did Dr. Feelgood. I mean, it's like, he wasn't like a deep cut producer. Lars right. was like, who's the hot guy right now? Oh, the dude who did, you know, Firewoman and yeah. Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. Let's get that guy. So just thinking about him coming into that, and even like thinking about you as a producer, Metallica has tapped you 
to come make their next record, you're hearing some of the demos. It's like when Bob Rock says that when he heard Sabbath True, he knew it was the cashmere of the 90s. Yeah. yeah. How about, so him, how about him going statement, into that? Dude. Which it's like, it. I feel like a lot of his intuition was correct in that era, obviously. Yeah, for sure it was. But for him to come in and say, to tell a band like Metallica, like, how much input do you have or how much power do you have to say this song should be different? Because you mentioned all the roles that a producer has, but one of those roles is to actually help them arrange music yeah. and say, yeah. this piece of art you wrote, how can we make it better? Yeah, or or like like the email we got earlier, like, this is way too Does, long. We need to edit this. Yeah. We need to shorten this. Right. This, you know, some people don't think that Metallica <clears throat> let people edit them, but I, I think Bob Rock did do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And ch- and challenging the band and like really like stepping up to him. I mean, like, you know, this we've, we talked about on the year and a half episode. I mean, him grilling Kirk during the Unforgiven solo. Yeah. I'm sure you've been in that situation, Paul, where you're like, you're pushing someone and they're like not giving their best and you just keep pushing and pushing them. And challenging them until they pull out something that's like. I was gonna say, like, give us the mentality, like, because I'm sure you've done that with a player, yeah, where you're like, it's not good enough. You're great. You're sure, but you know, someone with an ego, like, oh, that was my record. He did, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Every take of your record, (laughs) every take of all five songs. (laughs) Yeah, man, you can if you watch all of the footage of Bob Rock with that band, you will come away with one principle, and to me, that is. Bob Rock loves Metallica. Yeah. And to me, sometimes loving someone is telling them you're not at your greatest potential. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, he's hired by the band to push them. And, and the, the, the Unforgiven solos is just a great example of him knowing the language that he has to kind of like me, I'm a pretty soft spoken guy. I would probably come to you and be like, man, and I'd probably pull you away from everybody else and be like, dude, what you're doing is great, but it, I think you can do better. Yeah. You're kind and, of a combination of Bob Rock and Phil. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think Bob... But without the sweaters. Including the sweaters. I was just about yeah. to say with the sweater. Dude, I wanted so bad to wear a fanny pack and a white turtleneck tonight. <laughs> you came dressed like my, Bob Rock? I asked my wife and like put my hair in a ponytail real high. Um, but... What what I think he's a master of is knowing, like, if you pulled Lars aside and said, like, hey, man, you're doing a really great job, but you're just not doing good. Like, he's not going to. No, it's not going to cut no. it. Yeah. So as a producer, like, part of his job is to know, like, how do I get on this person's nerves? Like, how do I tweak them? And I think the guitar player of the year comment oh, to man. Kurt. Oh, it had like, Kurt. Killer. Yeah. Dude, that's like the best motivation that guy could have gotten. Because he's like, okay, you want to see Guitar Player of the Year? Here it is. And we have that solo. Yeah. There's know? that really cool scene where he's talking, he's wearing a turtleneck and he's playing like a Les Paul and he's talking to the camera and he's like, yeah. he's like, one thing I've learned out of decades working with some of the greatest guitar players on the planet, and he's like playing like chords, he's like, is uh, if they didn't do their homework, what they always say 100% of the time is, Man, this tone's not right. Yep. <laughs> the sound's not right. <laughs> totally. Dude, like, the, the the classic examples are the you you biff the chord and then and then you know, the playback stops and you say, Is this tone right? Or <laughs> yeah. you biff the chord, the playback stops, and like is it good? Is this guitar in tune? It doesn't feel like it's in tune. Is this guitar in tune? I don't know if this is the guitar we Is this the right guitar? Yeah, totally. Almost every session I do, the producer has to be like, Hey man, check your tuning. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> well, I, okay, wait, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, no, but please. before you go any further, man, I really, really, really think that uh, to to all the people there that say that Metallica sold out on the Black Album, I don't believe that. No. And I don't think that Bob Rock is was a part of that. I think that if you look at early Metallica footage, they wanted to take over the world from the very first, you know, for sure. inclination of yeah. the band. And to me, you're not going to take over the world unless you take over the people that aren't metalheads. And, and they, I think yeah. it was in their plan the whole time of like, we're going to be metal. We're going to get our fan base and then we're going to take it to the masses. I've actually heard that statement. Yeah. Sure. Oh and yeah. So, they definitely wanted to. Yeah. They use the phrase like, we're going to take the gospel of Metallica to the world. Totally. Yeah. And you cannot do that without radio and at the time MTV. Sure. Yeah. And so to, to people that dog them for making videos and to people that dog them for hiring the number one producer at the time to make the, the most radio rock album that they could that was in their plan from the beginning. So right. they never they never sold out. They I actually agree, just yeah. completed I, their vision of yeah, they totally reaching did. the masses. I agree. To to me, the, the it it gets into absurdity where it's like if you really want to talk, because the craziest of these purists will say that they sold out and ride the lightning, right? Yeah, That's because crazy. because of the ballad, right? Yeah. yeah. And my my to 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 highlight the absurdity of it, I'm like, all right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they slowed it down. They wrote a ballad. Yeah. They wrote kind of a commercial ballady thing. Yeah. That's how absurd it is. You know, like. I feel like when they did Kill 'Em All, they, they got branded with like these sort of kings of thrash, right? The sort of Americanized right. new wave of British heavy metal thing that was this new Bay Area thing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. They were always moving forward from that. Always. I mean, the difference from Kill 'Em All to Red Lightning is is insane. I it's mean, pretty they, stellar. If, yeah, it, very. it might be one of them. It might be as drastic as Justice to Black Album. Hmm. Or reload to St. Anger. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, I don't know. The, the sellout thing, I agree with you. It's it's just like, they always wanted to take over, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And they had the chops for it. They were destined to, in yeah. my opinion. They were. And they have and they have said, I mean, all those guys for a long time, they've said that they, Metallica does what it wants. Yeah. We're doing what we want to do. And isn't that what we love about them? Yes. Like, I, to, well, here's the thing. I'll go back to the whole sellout comment. I think... When bands sell out, they're doing what the audience wants them to do. Mm-hmm. I think I think if after Justice they would have made another thrash record, we probably would have loved it. But if they decided like, oh, we could work with Bob Rock, oh, or we just go with Flaming again and do another thing we just did, to me that would be more of a sellout move because they're just like, well, let's just please our fans and do this. To, to me, right. that's that's more of a sellout. To me, move. the ultimate sellout move would have been Black Album happens right. <clears throat> Massive three-year tour. The the record that Lars has said wouldn't go away, right? Right. It's just permeated everyone. It's, it reached. It took them to the world. The real sellout is if they had made Black Album Part Two. Yeah, absolutely. But what did they do? They made one of their most polarizing records in their career. Load. Yeah. Because they're artists. Like I love that when James describes themselves as um, explorers. Yeah. And there's a really cool interview with James around that time about around Load, where he's he's being like specifically asked about the backlash to Load, and he's like, "Man, he's like he's he talks about it the way an artist might. He's like, I hope that people kind of understand where we're trying to go. If they can't, that's fine. Yeah, he's like the old records are there, but you know what? That's so Beatlesque of them. I agree, and I think it's asking their fans to 
follow more than just the train of thrash, but just to follow Metallica. Yeah. You know? Well, and let's, let's fucking be honest here. Like, why do they cut above Slayer? Why do they cut above songs. Megadeth? Why songs. do they, why do they cut above Anthrax? Well, A, definitely their songs, but B, it's because they evolved. Yeah. You know, they, they were the trendsetters. I mean, most of those bands, I, I wouldn't say Slayer so much, but like, like Anthrax and Megadeth for sure in that Black Album era in the early 90s, each released what I always consider their black album. But they weren't, the, right, exactly, you just explained it, yeah. their black album. Right, sure. which was a little bit more, you know, like I'm speaking of uh, Persistence of Time by Anthrax and Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth. Uh, but they were following Metallica. More commercial. But they were following Metallica, exactly. right? They weren't the trendsetters. They oh. weren't the fucking Wild to me, it's West like the, It's like the, you know, you have the Beatles that if they had released Meet the Beatles eight times. It would have been great. But it would have become uninteresting at some sure. point. But instead, they kept evolving and, and became right. the best band of eternity. And then you have something like the Monkees that kept the, following the, the same formula. It, totally. Yeah. And it, at some point... You have to move on. Yeah, there's. I, I feel like there's there's very very few bands throughout music history that can kind of do the same exact thing and be successful at it and do well at it. Like the Ramones are an example. Like they've done the same Ramones thing. Well, ACDC too. ACDC yeah. exactly. For sure. Yeah, Ramones, ACDC bands like because the songs are so powerful. The songs. Yeah, exactly. If you got the songs that are that powerful, totally. f- fucking right on. Whatever. Yeah. Paul, what do you? My, I'm curious what, what your thoughts are uh, as far as like. Post uh, Black Album, post World Tour, five times, whatever they did, uh, he gets the demos for Load slash Ooh, Reload because yeah, it, it was the yeah. same era. Let's move into Bob Load. Rock. Yeah. Bob Rock gets gets that that uh, cassette tape or whatever they were sending around at the time, or a DAT or whatever they were doing. Yeah, like something in ADAT. Oh God, <laughs> mid, that mid, mini disc. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe Bob, you know, he gets a, yeah, the band wants you to do the new record. Um, he might be thinking Black Album Part Two, which he probably would have been fine with. Sure, but, that's but then he gets these do. demos, and he gets you know until it sleeps. I don't know, man. And... I think I think I think Bob loves this band as much as we do. Yeah, and I think that if the band sat down with Bob and said, "We want to pursue all kinds of stuff. We want to play vintage guitars, which is what they did on Load and Reload. We want to pursue yeah. like." different sounds we want to try stuff we've never been able to try in the studio and all of a sudden they have this guy that's been around that like actually knows like they trust him yeah because he's been there he knows these sounds yeah he knows like okay we used a sitar on the black electric sitar on the black album like that was cool man what's some other stuff that we can do like that and i think they did it on those records I totally mean, those records are oh, you have, i mean you have pedal steel and mama said like but i, I think it's also hurdy-gurdy. important it's also hurdy hurdy gurdy huh <laughs> did they what is that i've never heard of that instrument hey before. you're a guest here and, and <laughs> not only on our podcast but in my home i'm also a fan dude <laughs> so but here here's the thing it's impossible to talk about Bob Rock's role in this band and not also acknowledge where they were in the existence of MTV and uh, how important that role. Like, I know when they went into Load and Reload that part of the making of those records would have been videos. Yep. Would have been... Thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which we're, we're past all that now. 
So, yeah, so it kind of doesn't make sense, right? So I can see why yeah, that might, weird... it might not make as much sense. But in that time, it really was such a big part of it. Oh, it was huge, yeah. And some of those videos were their biggest videos. Oh, very much Memory so. Memory Remains and Fuel and yep. Unforgiven 2 is a great video. I mean, dude, when I saw uh, James play the, the B-Bender on the Unforgiven 2 in the video, that's how I learned what a B-Bender was. Totally. We talked about this, how I learned what a B-Bender was. My uh, Friend of Misery. My Friend of Misery. Wow. I, I remember figuring that, and sorry for the listeners who've heard the story, but I remember trying to figure out that song when I was younger, and I asked my dad, like, what? I can't play this part. Like, what? what is that? And my dad right. listened to it, and he goes, oh, it's a B-Bender. I was like, what's that? And he had a, he, my dad used to have a Telecaster with a B-Bender, and he, he figured it out for me, and it blew my mind. Yes. Yeah. Can uh, one of you explain to our listeners what a B-Bender is? Sure. Go ahead. I did the fretless thing. So, so a B bender is you take a nor- uh, traditionally it was on a Telecaster, a Fender Telecaster. It was for country guys because they were trying to mimic how to play a pedal steel. They were trying to basically not pay a pedal steel player right. to come on the road. <laughs> right. <with them. laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, <laughs> and so the the original guy that invented it, his last name was Parsons, and there was another guy that helped him with the patent. It was called a Parsons Green uh, B bender. And basically, it's a mechanism that you route out, route out the back of the guitar. Most of the guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and the B string, which is the next to last string on the fretboard, if you're looking face down, uh, when you push down on the neck, there was the strap was connected to a device that would bend that B string up however, however much you wanted it. Most people did a whole step. I did an octave. (laughs) You broke the string every time. Yes, every time. It's a pretty fucking cool thing, dude. It was amazing. Very cool. Because I wish you would have brought yours actually to play it. Because it, I could play the Unforgiven too. Yeah, if you had a rock spire for me to stand. We've actually done. I think almost every session I've ever done at your studio, that guitar comes out somewhere and someone tries to play that. Because it's the best. Because it's awesome. That's what you should play. But okay, so going back, I think I think that's a direct representation of Bob Rock on that band. Yeah, and and I feel like the load reload era, you know, as much as the metal guys are going to hate this, it's like they've done this one sound for a long time, and then they they experienced big, like world success with the Black Album, and. I kind of feel like they. It was like there's there's nothing left to lose. Let's just go in and be as creative as we can be, but under the guise of we got to make three and a half minute songs for MTV for our videos. Yeah, and it's a matchup of that. It's, yeah. I think it's part of that like commercial sensitivity, but it's also like dudes. They're not twenty years old in nineteen eighty two anymore. Sure. They're not yeah. listening to Diamond Head. They're listening to Alice in Chains, and yep. they're listening to Soundgarden. Totally. Which yeah. You know, they're obviously listening to the Stones that they asked Marianne Faithful to sing on their song. They're, they're right, li- and, and James is listening to country music, and yeah. Kirk's getting involved in blues music and jazz music. They're they're goddamn artists, right? Yeah, they're they're sure. on a fucking journey. Yeah, yeah. And it's well, just it's, like, it's it's easy to sit where we all sit and say, and I, I even apply this to Saint Anger. You know, like it's easy to be like, oh, they're not making the record I want them to make. Right. Yeah. But if you're if you're on the ride, be on the ride. Totally. You may not like that first loop or that second loop. Well, I think you can get off the ride for a minute, but you still love the ride. You know, like yeah. I never stopped loving Metallica and believing in Metallica. No, I mean, like, like when when Senior came out, um, and I probably have talked about this, but I remember getting the CD. I was up in the I was in the Bay Area, in California, with my, with my then girlfriend now wife, and I listened to it and kept skipping tracks. I was like, no, no, 
my God, what's happening? I pulled it out, put it back in the case, suit in the back of my car. Yeah. But did I hate Metallica? No, I was pissed at that record. I'm like, this sucks. Like, why am I listening? You know, this this is awful. Why did I buy this? But I'm still. I just got off the ride for a second. Well, you know what I think it is, man, is we can follow Metallica on the rest of the journey because it was a functioning, healthy Metallica for the most part. I really think St. Anger was the band at a point of like severe crisis. Yeah. And it's hard to listen to because it wasn't about the songs during that record. It wasn't about the performances. It was about like literally keeping a band alive. And, and I, we didn't have the benefit of the documentary at the time. Right. You know, like yeah. I remember when I finally did see the documentary, I was actually on a, on a pretty shitty tour and it was really helpful and resonant for me. Yeah. It's why, it's why people who don't even like Metallica like that documentary. It's, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it has this sort of human resonance, but I remember seeing it and being like, oh, I get it. Now I get yeah. why the record is what it is. Yeah. It's kind of James's therapy record. It totally Like is. the lyrics are all just straight up kind of therapy 101. Mm-hmm. What about Kirk's lyrics? Except my life my <laughs> lifestyle determines my death style. <laughs> I, I've got a question for you. I, I'd love your insight on this. Oh, good. Thanks. Oh, wait, you're talking to Paul. <laughs> uh, so Clint, uh, can you ask Paul this for me? <laughs> no, you ask Paul. Paul's the guest. I'm nervous. No, um, in regards to St. Anger and uh, talking about the documentary, um, at that point in uh, Bob's relationship with them, in that point in their career, they're about to fall apart. He's got to find this balance of, I need to help them make a good record. I also feel like I need to keep this band together. Yeah. Because at this point, I mean, they're over 10 years of working together. Mm -hmm. Do you think that... um, he maybe like let things slide in the production world in order to make sure that these guys don't just kill themselves or kill each other. This, this is why I love Bob rock is in the music business. There are a million people that will, if there, if there comes a fork in the road between the band they're working with and themselves, yeah, they'll choose themselves every time. That's most of the music business. Sure. And uh, what was it Hunter Thompson said? The I'm going to butcher this, but the music business is a long hallway of pimps and thieves. Uh, and that's the good side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Uh, very true. <laughs> the fact that this dude would enter into this, you know, multi-year trench experience with this band after they've had such success and he doesn't need the money. He truly loves this band. It yeah. is true. He could have split, right? When it could got really, when it got time. really fucked up, he could have just split. Any time. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he stuck around even after Hetfield was gone for a while. He could have said, "Like have... this isn't. I didn't sign up." He showed this. up to the studio with Lars without James. Yeah, you know, and I think that uh, I I think that man, like we were talking before we started. I know that th- there had to be someone that got thrown out, and uh, Newstead definitely bore the brunt of that but for some reason i feel like that wasn't enough scapegoat vibe yeah for for james and lars no i think it's true i was reading today about um (laughs) this is how great a host i am i googled (laughs) bob rock metallica uh obviously our our listeners know i'm legit but i just wanted to see if there was like a 10 facts you didn't know about bob rock and metallica which that buzzfeed article does not exist by the way but I did come across a thing that bummed me out to your point of Bob being a scapegoat uh-huh. that, that made me believe that where 
they were doing promo for Death Magnetic. So obviously when you're, whatever record you're promoting, it's the coolest, best shit you've ever done, right? Or whatever. Right, yeah. Like It's always your the, favorite record. The story of it is the best story ever. And it the narrative was kind of like, yeah, we love Bob, but we wanted a guy, and they're talking about Rick, which I really don't have many good things to say about Rick's involvement with Death Magnetic. Sure. Uh, to me, that that the success of that record is Metallica and Greg Fiddleman. But yeah. their whole narrative was Bob held our hand the whole time, and Bob, you know, Bob was involved in every aspect, and so his influences and his idiosyncrasies kind of got filtered into the records and you know Rick was never there and so it just is undiluted Metallica and sure I'm like well A it sounds like shit I mean maybe he could have been around for a little bit for the engineering side of it (laughs) right B you guys need a guy to walk you through it because you guys yeah there wasn't there wasn't a Bob Rock on Death Magnetic I think there wasn't a guy to push them hard to be like you know what that doesn't sound that good let's just imagine if if Rick had been around for saying for St. Anger. I think the band even be together. I mean, yeah, he might have scrapped the record and then that they wouldn't have had that creative outlet yeah. for James to do his AA meeting lyrics. My, my thing is, and this is what I've told people in the past, is like, if you look up Bob Rock and look at the records he's made and the impact that those records have had. Which I did right before this. And then... And, then, <laughs> and we read them. And then you look at St. Anger and imagine him saying... Yeah, I love that snare sound. Right. That's not how it went down. I think he was saying, whatever you need to do, Lars, to make you happy, to get you to the point where the band is functional again, I'm going there. Do you think that that Bob Rock knew that record would would be a disaster and pretty much hated? I don't know. You watch him in interviews for that, and he's not like... He's not stoked. Yeah, dude. It's like he's... Towing yeah, the line I, I, of I, I love this band. Yeah. Which to me, like that makes true. him a hero, yeah. dude. Well, I I honestly have not considered this until this conversation because my thought has always been, and I I think I've been wrong about it, is that he'd made three records, one of which is an undisputed masterpiece, critically and commercially. Totally. Black album. Then he made two follow ups that maybe some fans didn't like, but were just commercial smashes. They were, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Fuel is a staple now. Yeah. Oh, it is, yeah. Did you get Fuel? No, you got Creeping Death, but you got Creeping Death in the slot that Fuel might be yeah, in. Yeah, I got Creeping yeah. Death in Fuel. So, yeah. so Fuel is like, if they're going to pick any of those tunes that people think are turds, Fuel's in there. And guess what? The crowd goes fucking crazy. Yeah. But um, but my thought was like, he made those three massive records that he knew were going to stand the test of time. And then, and this is kind of my cynical take, is that they were down a bass player, Jason Split who I considered the scapegoat and he's playing bass in the band. I don't think he ever thought he was going to be in Metallica. Right. But I think him playing bass and writing, I feel like he got too close to it. Absolutely. Or he lost agree. perspective. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So you think that's true also? Yeah. I think he loves this band. I also think, I mean, I just imagine myself in that place and I don't think he ever thought I'm going to play rockin' in Rio with <laughs> right. you know, Metallica. Brazilla Palooza. Yeah. Brazilla Palooza. But or a flatbed truck at Oakland Raiders game. Which he did do. I think if he is at fault, it's when they said, Why don't you be the fill in while we're writing? That he said yes. And what would you have done? I I mean, dude, I would have said yes. (laughs) Well, what should you, what should he have done? What he should have done is said, You know what? 
the last time this happened, you guys got a, a bass player immediately and you didn't mourn the last guy that left. You didn't process any of it and you, do, you dove straight in. Maybe we should take some time because you guys are at a place where you can take the time right. to find the next bass player Metallica. Well, what was the quote he said is where he says something like, I don't think you guys will ever have a permanent bass player yeah. again. Yeah. Which is kind of fucked up. I think that's him being too close at that right, point. Right, I agree. I think he got drawn into the web, man. But had they found a new bass player before they started all the St. Anger stuff, would it have been different or would it have been just like the next Jason like, no, from I think, Garage I think, Days? Like, I think whoever they had gotten, even in, I mean, because Robert's credentials were stellar. Of I mean, course, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, Robert's our dude. Robert's the bass player in Metallica now. Yeah. Uh, and as of, I think it was a couple weeks ago. He's He's he, been in longer than Jason and officially, Cliff. Yeah, he officially like wow. passed. He's the longest standing bass player in yeah. Metallica. It's crazy. But I think he's the a, crab walk has been around longer. Has, well, yeah. he's tempered it, though. Yeah. yeah, he has tempered it. He keeps it to like... He obviously, listens, he obviously and... listens to the show. Yeah, of course. Dude, what about does, that yeah. moment in the dock where he's jumping on his bed? What would you do if you just got paid a million dollars as an advance? In, in his like rental apartment, because he's <laughs> I it's feel the like, best. Dude. I feel like that was like upstairs at Metallica HQ. Like some like apartment. They're like, let's go there. find a bed. <laughs> There's no way that like he's played with suicidal tendencies and Ozzy that he's in like this tiny. Maybe he is. I don't know. I think it was like the apartment that they put him up in while no, no, he, was he was coming to work with the band. And you know what's interesting? Did you guys know that the night before his audition that we see on tape, he got super hammered with Lars? No, I didn't. So the know shirt that. he's so he's like the night before me and Lars stayed up drinking all night because they were buds. Yeah. yeah, I mean they've been touring together. And even though Lars refer, refers to him in the documentary as that guy, yeah. I mean, that guy can just... So he buy. says he got so hammered and he's he had to borrow one of Lars's like Armani t-shirts. So he's wearing this like really fucked up t-shirt that's Lars's. <laughs> and he's super hungover. He's come oh, out recently. Dude. I mean, it probably took him 10 years before he was like cool enough to say that. Yeah. I guess, can I say this now? Another Robert thing that I think is interesting is from the tuning room, I don't know if it was the Philly night, but they do this thing where they show the tuning room and you can only see it if you're privy to the link. Yeah. But I follow the, every show night. I'm like reading all the forums. And in one of the tuning rooms, they played Spit Out the Bone. Oh, wow. The whole thing? No. They, they, they're like kind of getting it into, like getting it into up. playing shape. Awesome. But everyone, of course, all the f- fucking diehard freaks on these forums, myself included, by the way, is going crazy thinking like, oh, they're going to debut Spit Out the Bone tonight, which, by the way, I think is my favorite song on Hardwired. I think it tipped the scale finally. Cause it's, it's a great song. It's so good. Yeah. But apparently in the tuning room video, they're like playing part of it and- they they like land some moment of it and Lars goes to Rob goes man that was incredible how'd you do that and James goes he's in the band (laughs) (laughs) how'd you do that it's been 15 years (laughs) it's like really been 15 years well 2003 2003 14 15 years that's crazy yeah I mean I was 25 years old and he joined the band I was Three years old when he joined the band, <laughs> dude. Wow, I went to see great. the uh, the documentary at the Belcourt the night it came out. Did you really? What oh, year yeah. was that, by the way? When did the doc come oh, out? Was it oh three? Oh, the record came out in oh three. Yeah, the record was oh three. Uh, when was that? Oh five. Okay, maybe it was after that. Anyway, I went down with some buddies and. By the um, way, don't don't write us about that. We're yeah. looking it up now. We're we're going to be fine without knowing that exact date. Yeah, totally. Just to to our more avid fastidious fans. And the Bellcourt in Nashville, anyone's 
that lives here would know. It's cool because you can buy beer and watch a movie. And 2004, by the way. We and, were one uh, year off. So we had no idea what we were getting into. Like We just knew Metallica released this documentary. And what was that like, burning that down? Dude, a lot of really confused faces. <laughs> I'd imagine. There were like sure. long-haired metalheads sitting right in front of us. And I was loving it. I'd kind of been... Um, I think it was the second night and the first night a buddy of mine had been and like, he's like, you've got to see this. It's like, you're going to laugh your head off. And I was like, how do I, how am I going to laugh my head off? It's Metallica. I don't remember laughing a lot the first time. I mean, I, I, I do admit it is funny. See, I thought, but I was so, such a huge fan. Of, I remember being pretty confused. I yeah, remember burning yeah. down and well, being you, really confused. Were you sitting in front of me in the theater? <laughs> <laughs> I had short hair then. I yeah. do remember being confused and being really bummed. And then the more I watched it, it got funnier. Oh yeah! And then I, I think I really like it all. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it's I, a masterpiece. It it really it's a is. fucking masterpiece. I think for after sure. honestly watching that thing, I probably watched. I've probably watched it twenty times, or, or since it's come out. And I, I think it took me that many times to realize like this is a great documentary, and I'm so happy these guys made it. I think there's you know, a lot to learn every time you see it. I mean, <clears throat> and I think it ranks up there with if you're in a band or you make music or you care about music, it's required viewing. Totally, it's yeah, like Last yeah. Waltz level. Totally. And uh, there's a book by Joel Berlinger, who is the one of the directors, wrote a book about it. Oh wow! Called like the making of some kind of monster. It's called whatever I can't remember what it's called. This monster lives or some shit. But. Yeah. That's a whole other fascinating take on it. It's just a yeah. book about the making of that documentary. I think the confused part is you you have to, and I experienced this as I was watching the movie, but you have to divorce yourself from the fact that these guys aren't rock gods. They're yeah. actual human They're beings. They're humans, yeah. yeah. And then once you understand that, I feel like the movie made me actually fall in love with each member sure. more deeply because you kind of learned their idiosyncrasies and like what makes them tick. Yeah. Know? There's a little nugget that I I've forgotten about. I rewatched it recently where when James comes back from rehab and he's set on his parameters, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but he's like, I only want to work from these four hours or right. whatever. And Lars is freaking, you know, he's like, I can't talk to Bob about what we recorded yesterday. I love the way he says Bob's name too. He's what is How does he say? I can't talk to Bob. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I can't talk to Bob. Yeah. But what we did yesterday. Yeah. And James is like, is he well, from New Jersey now. <laughs> so is that Torb? Is that my Torbin? Poland, New Jersey. Yeah, you know, that's that. Uh, that's that's actually uh, Copenhagen, New Jersey. <laughs> but James goes, well, no. Here's the deal. When when I when you guys listen and make decisions, and I come in, I feel like. You know, I'm coming into a thing that's already pre-established. I don't know anything about. And Kirk goes, yeah, kind of like the last fucking 20 years of me being yeah. in this band. <laughs> and no Kirk. one pays attention to him saying it. But it's this little nugget where I'm like, oh, holy shit, Kirk, way to go, man. Yeah. yeah. It's he so true. It. Totally. Oh, the little man. dainty orphan. The dainty He's orphan. He's a dainty orphan. <laughs> Sorry, Kirk. Well, we didn't call you that. Somebody wrote in. Actually, it was uh, it was it was Samim. Samim. Yeah. Letters from Samim. Letters from da, Samim. Da, 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 da. Well, uh, to sum up, to sum up, Bob Rock, uh, to kind of end this episode. Final thoughts on Bob Rock, Paul? I think I think he kept Metallica's career going. I think he created the album that broke them from metal to the biggest band in the world. And hundred percent agree. I I also think he helped them write some of their best songs. I agree. Definitely. I'm going to go on record and say he's my favorite producer of Metallica's career. 
I will say that even though my favorite record is Master of Puppets, I will I love F- what Fleming has done. But I mean Bob Rock, I, I would say he's the best Metallica producer. Uh, kind of to, to to come off what you said, I, I would say that Bob Rock is the guy that catapulted them and was also their safety net. That's a good good way to well, sum it up, man. I would say yeah, he catapulted them and he was their scapegoat. Yeah, <laughs> he was. It's true. Am I writing like metal poetry right now? scapegoat what uh, last thing he never slags the band in any interviews nope and they never no. slag him no they they got a good vibe oh they totally do how I, I mean we've it's talked true. about we talked about fleming we love obviously greg fiddleman's work i wouldn't be opposed to another bob rock recording now that they're sober clean-headed or clear-headed and just you know, in a good place. He did an interview with Eddie Trunk about two years ago where he said he don't think it'll ever happen. And his reasoning was very producer-esque in that he said, man, Metallica is like moving forward. They're, they've, at this time they had made Death Magnetic. And yeah. He was like, they've made this great kind of throwback record and it wasn't like a fuck them vibe, but he was like, it's kind of like a producer's like a dad, like a papa yeah, bear. Sure. And it's like, he kind of like knows that the season's gone. He They've already graduated himself. from college. They're on their own. Like you can't move back into the house now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like that. Or maybe like they're like thirty-eight and div- on their second divorce. And yeah. He's like, well, you still got to g- g- get an apartment. <laughs> yeah, figure totally. it out. <laughs> you can't work for my company. So before we end all, with all of our, we have to end it with all of our bullshit. Let's let Paul give an yeah. opportunity to say. Let's say when you're one of our listeners out there and you want to make a record. You want to come to Nashville, see what's going on. Yeah, this is this is your time to this promote is your yourself dude. to our, to our uh, Paul, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I have a website. It's paulmokemusic.com. Uh, go there. Send me a message. Yeah, you can contact Paul there. And and we're not exaggerating because Paul is our friend. His studio no. is truly my favorite studio in all of Nashville. Go to paulmoke.com and go look at it. You'll, There's some gorgeous photos on there. Well, you took them, so you should know. <laughs> oh, did you do that? I didn't know. That. I was hoping you'd remember. Yeah. Um, no, it really, it really is. I'm not trying to like toot his horn because he's sitting here, but uh, it, it's one of those spots. If you want to come to Nashville and make some music, make a record, uh, you walk in and instantly feel inspired and driven to make and create something. No, it's super vibey and beautiful and set up. It's yeah. definitely set up to to make art and anything you could want to play is there. It's pretty much model after the Presidio, so yeah. there we go. If you want to make your Saint Anger, yeah, <laughs> oh, God, no. I'm just kidding. Make your Black Album, make your Master Puppets, <laughs> anything but Saint Anger. I don't. I have. I have like 30 snares, but none of them have the snares ding, on them ding. until I get in there. So, a little Dude, quick thank you up, guys but... for having me, man. This has been a thanks for being on the show, Paul. Being here, man. This is I, awesome. I, I mean, other than like James Hetfield, the name we've probably mentioned the most so far on this episode is Paul Moak. Yeah, that's true. Very true. So it's very befitting that you were our first guest. <laughs> it's an honor. Oh yeah. Well, that's about it, guys. You can find us on all our shit. You know how to do it. Social media. Look at Metal Beer Podcast. You can always email us at show at gmail.com Financially support the show at um, patreon.com slash Podcast. And uh, yeah, do me a favor so I don't have to fucking ever say it again. Oh, what are you gonna say, Clint? Go leave us the iTunes reviews. When we get to 100, we're gonna be done talking about it, which yeah. I hope is in like a month or next week or in my pants. <laughs> uh, wow. Sorry, I didn't on, know how to on make that, that note. I didn't know how to make it funny. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. All right, sounds good, guys. Peace. Adios. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
That's all you got, Paul? That's how you're going to end it? Thanks. <laughs> Metal up your ass. There you yeah. go. Yeah. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>